Bible, but it stood the test of time because it's, uh, it's really sonic uh, truths from God's word. This mighty fortress is our God. And uh, you know, if you know the song, you know one of the words is a bulwark. They say our God is a bulwark, never failing. And what does that mean? It just means that he's a defense. He is a strong wall. And you can say that our God is a bulwark for us against the schemes and the attacks of the devil. So anything that the devil would seek to do, he'd seek to snatch us from, from the grip of Christ. But our God is a bulwark, and he will never let it happen. And uh, we're completely safe from all of the troubles of this life within him. Not that we're completely uh, unexposed to them, but we are safe ultimately from them. And he will never let us go. So let's sing this together. Our God is a mighty fortress, a bulwark. Good 
Thank you so much, Jamie. Appreciate that. Thank you, Blair and team, for leading us this morning. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. Woo! How many people are excited about spring? Happy second day of spring. Yeah, I saw a few people with rakes. I thought it's maybe just a little bit early for the rakes, but I, I get the sentiment. I get the idea, right? You want to get that junk off your lawn. Well, it is really good to see you this morning. 
We are just uh, in a new, kind of a new season. Uh, spring is here, the sunshine's here, warmth is here. We've just finished in the background 10 weeks in Colossians. Ahead of us is our In Pursuit series. We're very excited about that. That starts next week. We have four weeks in our In Pursuit series in our time of Easter. But today is a special day that we are actually in the Psalms for one week. Peter did a great job last week wrapping it up for us and hope you enjoyed that. And today we're jumping into the Psalms for this one message. And, you know, I just, I love the Psalms. Sometimes in your Bible reading you are in the Psalms and sometimes you're not. And when we're currently not, uh, and when you're currently not, you feel like, I need some Psalms in my life. Like, just, I need a drink of Psalms. You know, I need to be refreshed and I need to be that. And that's what we felt as we were thinking about today what God would have for us. There's a season in life that we just need to be reminded of God's very active care for his children. And so if you're feeling a little bit tender today, feeling like, I just need to be reminded of God's care and his, his hands upon my life and upon our situations, today's a day for you. We're going to be in Psalm 46. I was thinking that when you're in an airplane cruising at 35,000 feet at 600 kilometers an hour, you know, you've got maybe coffee in one hand, your, your tablet in another, sometimes things can feel pretty calm. The plane, you, know, you almost forget that you're actually up that high going that fast. It just feels very relaxed. There's, there's those moments, we've had those moments. But there's other times when the plane begins to shake a little bit, right? It's just like a little jostling, there's a little shaking going on, and you, you know, it's like, okay, just you check your seatbelt, make sure everything is good. And, but then there's other times, I don't know if you've experienced it, when that shaking actually gets a little more intense, and the plane actually drops. I don't know if you've dropped 20 feet, or 150 feet, I don't know how far you drop, but you know, your, your mouth and your stomach is up here and your body's down here, and, and in that moment you start thinking, uh, is anybody in control up there? And is this plane gonna be able to handle kind of this turbulence? Are we gonna be able to navigate through this? And we just begin to wonder, am I gonna make it? Well, there's a lot of turbulence going around us right now, and uh, things are shaking. As I've been reflecting the relative calm and ease that we have enjoyed, not like, you know, the plane's smooth, that is the things that we've been accustomed to, those things have been displaced by uncertainties and some fears and anxiety. So we feel a lot of things in this season. Perhaps it's distress or disappointments. Uh, maybe it's anger or fear. And for a lot of us, it's been a tough year. I think we're just in a spot where we're weary. And, you know, it was prayed this morning that uh, Blair prayed that. Jesus said, come to me and I will give you rest. And we're in a spot where we just need a fresh reminder of God's faithfulness. I love the fact that the Bible is for us a source of confident hope in every season. And there's no better place to turn than to the Psalms for this fresh encouragement to give us the perspective on navigating these shakings and these droppings and these changes that are going on around us. Today we come to Psalm 46 for encouragement and hope. It is well-loved and well-known. Perhaps if you open your Bibles, let's do that together today. It, it's a psalm that you've come to, and maybe as you open your Bible, maybe you go, hey, I've all already underlined some things here. I've already highlighted some things. I know for me, verse 10 is, is the place that I have returned to again and again. And in the setting of great uncertainty in the times in which we live, Psalm 46 is a psalm of confidence restores our confidence. And confidence is all about what? Confidence is all about trust. 
Confidence is believing that you can rely on someone. So we come to this ancient song of God's people and it tells us that God is fully trustworthy. We can be confident because the God that Psalm 46 talks about is fully trustworthy. He's fully powerful. He's fully protecting us against the dark forces that come against his people and his purposes and and we need that in these days. J.B. Phillips wrote this book, and I love the title, and it really says it all. It says, your God is too small. Your God is too small. The purpose that he wrote this book was, and there's a quote you'll see, the purpose was to expose the inadequate conceptions of God. Do we have that, Timo, that quote? I think we do. No, we don't. Maybe we do. All right. I'll read it to you. The purpose of his book was to expose the inadequate conceptions of God which still linger unconsciously in many minds and which prevent our catching a glimpse of the true God. In other words, you know, sometimes we lose sight of how great God is and and our view of God may may indeed be and often is uh, inadequate and small, but God, who's revealed in this psalm as the Most High, whose presence fills the universe, he's anything but small. And we need to be reminded that our problems that seem this big are really quite small, and this God who seems to us sometimes this small is very, very, very big. Amen? The psalm has a a big view of a big God, and, and we need that in fearful times. Psalm 46 speaks about the security that we have, and we can have a fearless trust in God amidst the chaos because of who He is. Psalm 46 isn't the kind of psalm that says, you know what, you can do it, you got this, man. It's not the kind of pump you up and you can do this, go and take the hill. That's that's not what Psalm 46 is about. It's that God's got this and you can trust him to tackle the world's problems. God is sovereign over nature and over viruses and over the nations and over governments and over our fears. And one of the words you see in Psalm 46 as you trace it a number of times is, He's, he's sovereign over all the earth. In other words, God is in control, right? That song we used to sing as kids, he's got what? The whole world in his hands. He does. It's not, we're not just pretending it's real. Blair mentioned about a mighty fortress, this song that we just finished singing. Thank you for leading us in that. Martin Luther wrote the song in 1527 based upon Psalm 46. I don't know if you knew that. Mighty fortresses are God is Luther's paraphrase, this hymn of the Reformation, a paraphrase of Psalm 46. And this is this hymn of assurance in times of difficulty, this constant celebration of a God who is fully in control and victorious and of the hope we have because of Christ. That word above all earthly powers, one little word shall fell the enemy, the name of Jesus, the person of Jesus. This morning as we come to this psalm, here's what God wants us to know. He says, be still and know. Verse 10, be still and know. And the psalm can be divided into three sections. And each of them, you can tell how the psalm breaks down. It's really easy because the psalmist wrote each section. If you look in your Bibles, there's a word selah after verse 3 and after verse 7 and after verse 11. And Bible commentators are not exactly sure what that word selah means, but we think it means to, to pause and to stop and reflect. In other words, take a breath, take it in, Just sit and reflect in this truth. And so those sections all have that word at the end of them. The the psalm is uh, framed also, this is just the overview and then we're going to jump into it in a second. Verse 1 is the theme of the psalm. 
And verses 7 and 11 repeat that in a slightly different way. So three sections, each ending with the word selah. Verse 1 is the theme. The psalmist opens it up and said, here's what this is all about. And 7 and 11 is the refrain of the song, the chorus that comes back again, which is saying the same thing. That's the structure. Here's the outline for the message. Be still and know that God is, first of all, the refuge in chaos. Verses 1 to 3. Second section, verses 4 to 7, is is that God is the rescue in conflict. And finally, the third section, he's the reason for confidence, verses 8 to 11. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into this message. Father, today we thank you for the gift of your word, your promises, which reveal who you are, your faithfulness and the confidence that we can have in you today. And so, Lord, we come to you and pray that by the power of your Spirit you would teach us that, Lord, the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart and us together would be pleasing to you. Oh, Lord, speak to us today. Do a good work in your people. Strengthen and encourage us and help us to exalt you as you deserve to to be, Lord. You are the Most High. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at verse one together. First point, our God is a refuge in chaos. He says, be still and know that I am a refuge in chaos. God is our refuge in strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. This verse, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. It is such a great verse. I absolutely love it. The theme and the main message of this psalm repeated in verses 7 and 11. And just look down at verse 7 and see how they're very similar. The Lord of hosts is with us. That's God's presence. The God of Jacob is our fortress, this protection. Now, if you're like me, something happens in your life, something challenging happens, and we're reminded that our point of reference is, is usually me, myself. So can you, I'll give you an example. Something happens to us, something perhaps difficult or challenging, and we instinctively go into react mode. And we think, do I have the resources, the ability, the strength to handle this? C- can I do this? And our point of reference is us. So for example, guys, I'll speak to you for a second. You get lost, right? You're lost, you're driving somewhere. We all know where this is going to go. Although we have phones today, so that's good. When you get lost, you go into problem-solving mode. And uh, too often, in problems, we live as if we are the sole determining factor whether we're gonna be able to get out of this or not. We turn to ourselves. Like it's self-assessment. Do I have what it takes? Well, the psalmist doesn't begin here. And from the experiences of of this this person or group of people who wrote this psalm, having experienced God's faithfulness in the past, and knowing that God is working presently, and and I'm going to tell you in a little bit where we think this psalm might be rooted historically. They've been living out God's faithfulness in real life and real time. They, They had difficulties, but the psalmist didn't begin with how good is our fortress, how strong are our weapons, how much strength and might do we have. It wasn't them, wasn't self, wasn't me as their point of reference. They begin right here where we need to begin, God. God is. So trouble comes, here's the first thing you need to think, not can I do this or do I have what it takes. We need to think first and foremost, God is, not me, but God. 
The place we're to run to in trouble is not us. It's not our own abilities. It's not our own wisdom. Because here's what we tend to do in our own pride and our own foolishness. We think, I got this. Well, how's that working out for us? We turn inward. But here in the Bible, in remembrance and faith, we turn to the one who is over all. Think about what's your tendency. Where do you run? Where do you turn? Now, it's not in the psalm that we pretend that circumstances don't matter or pain isn't real. It's not that we don't have to deal with them, that we stick our heads in the sand and pretend everything's okay. That's not what he's talking about. What he's saying here is that there's a greater reality that there is someone who is mattering more than the hurt. There's someone greater than the fearful circumstances. We get a big view of a big God. And could it be, think with me, that the difficulties that we are experiencing or that we've gone through in our life, and all of us have a list and a litany of those things, could it be that those things are ordained by God to again teach us to look to him who made the heavens and the earth and who holds all things by his love and limitless power? This is what the Psalms do again and again. Here's an example from Psalm 121. Perhaps you know this one. He says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So that's what he's saying. He's saying, as we begin in this psalm, lift your eyes above yourself. Lift your eyes to God in your troubles and your trials and your circumstances. Because here's who he is. Here's what God has revealed as. He's our refuge. He's our strength. He's our very present help in trouble. Three things the psalmist wants us to see about who God is. Number one, he's our refuge, he's our strength, and he's our very present help in trouble. Refuge, the first one. Refuge, God, when you think of refuge, think about God being our hiding place, the place of safety, the place of shelter, the place of protection in storms. So imagine you're out for a walk, you're shopping, maybe you're walking down downtown in Dunlop, and a uh, a rainstorm hits. So what, what do you do? If you don't have an umbrella, you head for cover, right? You, uh, you head to the basement when there's a tornado warning. You try to run indoors when, when there's a big rainstorm. Where do you run when the storms of life assault you? God says, run to me. He is our refuge. He's the refuge we run to when the storms hit. God says, I will protect you in times of trouble. And we know that there is only one safe place, there's only one refuge in this world from judgment, from calamity, from the onslaught of the evil one. And if you know Jesus Christ today, you have that refuge. He is your refuge. He's your place of protection, safe. We might have correct theology, we might know that, we might have memorized verse one, but do we always run to the Lord in the heat of the battle? Instead, maybe we run to the fridge to grab some food or we run to the phones to distract ourselves, or in a panic or in a stress, uh, we run away to something else other than to the Lord. The second thing is, it says that God is our strength. He's our refuge, and secondly, he's our strength. Do you ever say to yourself, something's going on, you just say, I can't do this, and you shake your head. I don't have what it takes. I've said that a, a bunch of times in my life. I can't do this, I don't have what it takes. Or maybe you hit the pillow at night and you are completely exhausted. It's been that kind of day. And you just think to yourself, how am I going to handle tomorrow? You ever felt that? 
your strength is gone. Well, the good news is our boast is not in what we have. It's not in our ability, but it's in the Lord who is our strength, who is sufficient for every trial. That's the good news. His strength is endless. And when the Lord rescued his people from the waters that threatened to destroy them, leaving Egypt in the, in the Exodus, there was a song that came from the people. That was the first song written in the Bible of deliverance. And, and from being trapped against this wall of water and Pharaoh's army pursuing them, God made a way. When the Lord rescued them, here's what they wrote in Exodus 15 too. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my strength and he's my song. He's become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My Father's God and I will exalt him. The declaration of these people who had just seen God take them through something that was so horrible and so difficult and so life-threatening, they said, the Lord is my strength and my song. And we know the New Testament, I can do all things, what? Through Christ who, what? Who strengthens me. The Lord is your refuge and he is your strength. We are strong. We are strong when we are strong in the Lord. Some of you need to hear that today. The third thing is he's a very present help in trouble. So imagine, go back to Dunlop Street with me. Imagine, you know, you're walking on Dunlop Street, big rainstorm. Uh, maybe you don't have the right shoes, you don't want to get drenched, you got a big meeting to go to, and you go, okay, I got this, I'm going to run into this building to kind of, you know, pretend I'm shopping somewhere, just to get out of the rain, and you grab the door, and that door is locked, and like the place that you wanted to run into is inaccessible to you. You find the door locked, and you're just standing outside getting drenched. Well, a place of refuge is, is no good if the door is locked. God's door is never locked. God's door is never locked. We need a 24-7 place of safety where the door is never locked, and that is our God. He's always available. He's always near. He is an ever-present help in trouble. The nuance of that word in the Hebrew language is it says the Lord is, is well-proved. He's well-tested. In other words, God doesn't fail, and you're not the first one to have these troubles. I'm not the, the first one to have these troubles. God's people have trusted him and run to him and found strength and shelter and safety in him for hundreds and thousands of years because that's who God is. I love how Charles Spurgeon puts this when we think about our troubles. He says this, God is more nearly present than even the trouble itself. Does it sometimes feel like your troubles are right in your face, staring at you, screaming at you, fighting against you? I know I feel that way sometimes. Spurgeon says God is even closer. God is even closer. How encouraging. Well, we could stop right now. We could stop right now. We could have testimony time. We could say, let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. Psalm 126 says that, right? God has been faithful. We could have person after person stand up and say, let me tell you my story, how God has been more closer than the trouble. He's been more powerful than the difficulties. Without fail, the Lord is with us. God doesn't leave us. He doesn't lock us out. The door is not locked. He holds us strong. He holds us fast just when we think we're not going to make it. Had coffee with a man from this church this week, and, and he was going through some stuff, and he just said, I prayed, and he told me how God got him through a very, very, very difficult situation. And God's help comes just at the right time. That open door of opportunity, that unexpected check to pay the bill, that lifting of the dark cloud when you felt like you were just going to collapse underneath it. 
Maybe it was that scripture verse that came to you. A friend sent it just at the right time. God is good. God is good. South Shore, God is our refuge and strength. He is our very present help in trouble. So right now, let me ask you, what is your thing? What is your storm that's blowing in your face? What is that thing that's on your shoulders that is so heavy? Come to that place of safety and shelter. Come to the throne of grace for God's help. The psalm alternates between these wonderful declarations of faith as we just read, but it also talks about the very real circumstances and fears and the danger. Look at verse two with me. Psalmist says, here's what's going on. I'm, I'm writing this not like from some, you know, poolside uh, refuge of just kind of ease and calm seas and bright sunny days. He's saying, I'm writing this in the midst of some stuff that's shaking around my world. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, those waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. All right, listen, these are extreme circumstances. This is like chaos. This is like the world coming apart. This is like your world blowing apart. Chaos everywhere. Waters are churning. The mountains are shaking. There's earthquakes. There's things falling apart everywhere. In our day, we've seen tsunamis. We've seen the power, the destructive force of earthquakes. It's in waters and destroy things and destroy lives. We've seen volcanoes erupting. We've seen mountains blow up. If you're old enough, you remember Mount St. Helens. We've seen a lot of things in our day. Some of you have lived through physical earthquakes. I know I kind of remember being in the basement when there was one that was 600 miles away in Montreal. And my little office in the basement was shaking. Some of you have lived through some earthquakes, some big ones. Many of us have experienced earthquakes that have rocked our worlds. Not talking the physical ones, I'm talking the, the personal, the relational, the emotional ones. But because God is our refuge and strength, here's what we can say. Therefore, we will not fear. That is our confidence, that is our declaration. Therefore, we will not fear. No matter what's going on, even though the world is at war, the, even though the forces of darkness are coming against the people of God, even though believers are marginalized, even though you fill in the blanks, whatever your thing is, even though this isn't happening or that's happening or I gotta face this thing, even though whatever tries your faith, whatever comes your way in the days ahead, remember this, God is on your side. He can handle it. He is sovereign, so we do not need to fear. All of these troubles, the Bible says, are a light and a momentary affliction working for us, a great work of good and glory as God works out his purposes. Good place for an amen? Amen. So we won't fear. Across the ages, God has proved himself the refuge and strength of his people. You don't need to be afraid. If we're living in self, we're gonna be afraid. If we're living and trusting in the Lord, we're living in fear not. We move from fear to fear not. And just remember that God is with you. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the storms of life and one of the pictures that came to my mind was the disciples on the Sea of Galilee in Mark chapter four. Here's what it says. Jesus was in the boat. He's pretty tired because there's this big storm going on. He must have been extremely tired, extremely exhausted. He awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea after the disciples woke him up, here's what he said, peace, be still. Sounds like our psalm, doesn't it? 
Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. And they said to one another, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's still the one who speaks to the storms. Jesus is in the boat with us. Creation obeys his voice. He speaks the word, be still. Everything stops. He holds the winds and the waves in his hands. He holds us fast through the storm. And though the oceans roar, as that hymn says, it will be well with our soul. It will be well with our soul. Maybe you've got some fears facing you today. Maybe you've got some storms breaking across the bow of your boat. I want to tell you today, you are secure in the presence and the protection of God. There is safety. You don't have to be afraid, so rest in him. Put your trust in the Lord. Be still, pause, reflect, and know that he is the refuge in chaos. The psalmist now turns from confidence in the face of the forces of nature that threaten to us to the the threat of the nations. The second point is this. We're to be still and know that he is our rescue in conflict. Verse four, look that with me. He says, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. Some of you may know that I grew up in Ottawa, and running through the center of the city of Ottawa is something called the Rideau Canal. In the wintertime, you get to skate on the 7.8-kilometer skating rink. I think it's the longest skating rink in the world. In the summertime, boats go through there, and people kayak and stuff, and there's running trails on both sides of the canal. It's a beautiful place. There's something pretty special when a river runs through the center of a city, and that was one of the beautiful features of Ottawa. I sure enjoyed spending a lot of time there. In the second section, we learn of a river that runs through the the center of the city of God. It runs through Mount Zion. What's Mount Zion? Mount Zion is Jerusalem, the place where God makes his presence known. And this is a special river because as this river flows, it brings joy and gladness to the city. There's something beautiful. Now, if you've been to Jerusalem, if you've been to Israel, and Jerusalem specifically, you know that Mount Zion, Jerusalem, is built on a hill. It's, It's on a high place. And there is not a physical river running through it. So this is telling us this is not a real river, it's a figurative uh, river, excuse me. The imagery here is, as you can just imagine, of peace and provision, right? If you're in war, you need a water source. And even though there's no physical water, God's saying, I'm going to be your provider, I'm going to be your protection, I'm going to be your sustenance, I'm going to be your peace in the midst of, and just think back with me, right? Verse 4 is talking about this, this river that's beautiful, this, this peace-bringing river. Back a couple of verses ago, there was waters, but it wasn't this kind of water. It wasn't still water. It wasn't, it wasn't flowing easy water. It was the water that's going to drown you. It's the water that's going to wipe out your house and wipe out your city. It was the waters of chaos. He's saying, no. He says, I am for you the water that brings life. I'm a river for the people of God. You see, it's God's river, his presence, that brings refreshment and security and sustenance and ah, joy and gladness to our hearts. This is a picture right now for you. On March the 21st, 2021, 
the river of God that brings refreshment to your soul. But not only that, this is a picture of what's coming for us. This is a picture of what happens in the new Jerusalem and our heavenly home in Revelation chapter 22. The first two verses, there is a river that flows through the city of God that brings healing to the nations and there's tree, a tree of life runs beside this river and there's, there's healing and there's refreshment in God's presence. This river here is telling us that this is right now for us, God's presence, and it's also saying that this is a river that's coming. This is a river that we're gonna live next to. And if you know in John's Gospel, chapter seven, what is this river? Well, Jesus said the Holy Spirit is this river of living water that flows out of us. It's, it's a picture for God's continual artesian well of, of refreshment and blessing and favor. It's, it's a river just like in the Garden of Eden there was a river that refreshes and makes us well-watered people. If you live near the river, if you live in the safety and the shelter and the refuge of your God, you're gonna be like a well-watered garden. God's all-sufficient grace flowing. And even when we're threatened, and even when the enemy is at our gates, God's people still can be at peace. This is what the psalm is saying. There's all sorts of stuff happening, and there's chaos out there, but in here, in this heart of mine, there's peace because I'm trusting in the Lord. It says this, that we are in the refuge in Christ. We're in him, and his spirit, his river, is in us. God is in the midst of her. It says, she'll not be moved. And the presence of God, when the psalm was written, in the the time of the temple, the people trusted in the city. They trusted in the temple because God's presence dwelt physically in that place. Well, God's presence is not in that city per se anymore. It's, It's everywhere. God is with us in all places. So it's not like we have to move to Jerusalem. It's not like we have to get to the temple. The temple isn't there anymore to find safety. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in us. We, we run to Christ now by turning to him. He is with us. And he will hold us fast in uncertainty. He guards us. Look at verse five, the bottom of five. It says this. God will help her. He will help his people. He will help his church. He helps us when morning dawns. I love that. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. In the midst of the the challenges and the conflict, God helps his people. In verse one, there was an indicative, there was a statement of who God is. It says he is our help. In verse five says that God will help. God is the help that is for us and God is the help realized in verse five. It says this, God will help us. God will help us. He will help us when the morning dawns. Not only is he help, he will help us. He shows his help. In verse two, the mountains are shaking and quaking. In verse five, it says that we will not be shaken because of God. He is our help who helps us in the midst of everything shaking. He holds us so that we will not shake. This is what the psalmist is saying. I want you to think about that time in the Exodus. At night, things were difficult. God opened this way through the Red Sea. They walked on dry ground as Pharaoh pursued with his army. But something wonderful happened when morning dawned. Chased by Pharaoh's army and um, looking pretty, in a pretty difficult situation. When morning dawned, here's what happened. The Lord threw Pharaoh's army into a panic. Their wheels got stuck. Their chariots began to get bogged down and they get stuck in the mud. And it says that that God threw them into a panic and what happened? They were all destroyed when morning dawned. 
Or maybe you remember in 2 Kings 18 and 19, and I said earlier, this is, this is the place where commentators believe that Psalm 46 is rooted in historically. We don't always know the circumstances. Why did they write this? What was going on? 2 Kings 18 and 19, King Sennacherib of Assyria is surrounding Jerusalem. He's come with his war machine. He's come with his psychological warfare and just the, uh, the torment of, of threat. And in the midst of all of this, trying to overthrow it, King Hezekiah prays to the Lord these words. 2 Kings 19, 19, he says, So now, O Lord our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. This desperate, he was outnumbered. Right? He was, if God didn't show up, if God didn't do something, they were, they were dead. Wonderfully, the Lord heard the prayer. He heard the pleading. He came to the defense of his people, and he announced the defeat of the Assyrian army. I'm going to tell you just how many people were at their gate. You'll be amazed. And through Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet in 2 Kings, the Lord sent word to King Hezekiah. This was, this was God's assurance to King Hezekiah when he prayed. said this, the Lord said, for I will defend this city to save it. It's beautiful, right? God just defends his church. I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David, 2 Kings 19. And here's what the Lord did, listen. And that night, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down. They didn't have to lift their swords up. They struck down, the angel of the Lord struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And listen, and when the people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. God helps his people when the morning comes. When the morning comes. And maybe that reminds you of one very, very famous Bible story about the morning. Very, very famous victory of God in the morning. You thinking what I'm thinking? Yeah. Luke chapter 24. But on the first day of the week, listen, when at early dawn they went to the tomb, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They set out, the women set out in the dark to anoint Jesus' body. And by the time they arrived, it was morning. (laughs) And they didn't find a lifeless body that they were going to wrap with all these spices, but what did they find? They found that the stone was rolled away. In the night was the battle, but in the morning was the victory. Amen? Two weeks from now, you come back. We're going to be singing about that. We're going to be talking about that. The exodus and the slaughter of the Assyrians all pointed to that morning. It was the morning of mornings. The resurrection morning. God helps his people when morning dawns. He is with us. He is with us. New every morning. And so morning by morning, we wait for the Lord who has our strength and our power. We wait for the power of God to rescue us. The conquering king who broke out to show us that he is alive. Amen. Verse 6. 
The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, and the earth melts. Yeah, we see that nations rage. We see that the world is in turmoil. We see that leaders rise and kingdoms fall, and people rise up against one another around the world. The nations slip, but what? But God's people are held firm. God is in control, even in the midst of a world that is going insane. When Pharaoh and King Sennacherib and Satan and Judas and Pilate and the Jewish leaders threw their worst at God and his son and his people, what did they accomplish? Absolutely nothing. They were thoroughly and utterly destroyed in the waters of the Red Sea, in the battle, at the cross and at the empty tomb. Mourning brought the victory and God triumphed in victory over his enemies and God prevailed for his people by his power. God speaks his word, the earth melts. All who oppose him will be no more. With just a word, Jesus spoke to the raging seas and stilled the storm. Look at verse 6. He utters his voice, the earth melts. And everything that you think that's going on in the world right now, and there's a lot going on in the world right now. There's a lot going on in the United States. If you read Albert Moeller, he had a a very chilling article that he released this week about what's happening with the equality bill in the United States. Blair referred to Bill C6 and C7 in Canada. These are chilling things that are happening for the church. But listen to what God says in Psalm 2. When God speaks, his enemies listen. Verse verse 4 of Psalm 2. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them. How does he speak to them? He speaks to them in his wrath, and he will terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. No matter what's going on, no matter how the nations rage, no matter what kind of laws are being passed, no matter who's doing what, Anywhere, God says, my king is on my throne. He is the king. He rules and he reigns and he laughs and he speaks to the nations that oppose him in his wrath and in his fury. God laughs in the face of his enemies and he defeats them. My son Jesus is head and he's king and he's Lord of all. God rules the angels. God rules the nations. God rules the powers. God rules all the stars. And woe to those who try to oppose our God and fight against him. Here once again we sing the refrain, the chorus of this song in celebration. Verse 7, we sing it because he is the Lord of hosts. He is the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts is the commander of heaven's unbeatable armies. That's who he is. He's the divine warrior. And this is the God who is with us to protect us. So, Saushor Selah, pause. Reflect, be still, and know that he is our refuge and he is our rescue in conflict. Here's the final thing he wants us to see here. How do we respond to this God? The third section calls us to respond. He is our reason for confidence. Verse nine, come and behold the works of the Lord how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. And here we have some imperatives. Here's some things for us to do. The first one is this. 
you all, it's plural, all of us this morning, says this, come and behold. Come and behold the works of the Lord. That's why we come to church. That's why we come to hear his word. Because we come to see who God is. We come to see with fresh eyes of faith what God is doing in the world. Some of you know that I had ministry in Albania for five years. And for many, many years, from 1945 till 1991, Albania was a closed country. It was a country under atheistic, godless rule. People were were murdered for trying to leave. They were murdered for their faith. And people in the West and around the world, they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed. And the walls came down. Communism fell. Democracy came in, and the gospel flooded in. Come and see what God does. Come and see around the world where God is working in nations and people groups. Come and see where God is, is bringing the gospel through his people to places that have never been reached before. Come and have a heart for the globe. Come and see the final defeat of the evil one in the universe and all that opposes God. We have the word of God. We've read the end of the story. Christ is coming back. And I would admit that right now in the midst of it, we can't see what's happening in this moment. Two months before Albania was going to fall, did anybody know? Nope. In the moment, we don't see what God is up to. But when you look at the lens of God's word and look back in history, we can see. We look back and we see what God was doing. We can see what God did over nature. We can see what God has done over history. Think with me about Joseph. Joseph, where was he? He was in the pit. He was in the palace. He was in prison. Did Joseph see in any of those places what God was up to? No, he he didn't. No, he couldn't. He couldn't see what God was up to, but we do. And what God was up to was good, and what Satan meant for evil, God was working for good. And the disciples in the traumatic aftermath of Good Friday, Friday evening, Saturday, on the road, they just didn't understand what God was up to. But we do. In that moment at the cross, Jesus disarmed the rulers of darkness that enslaved us, and like captives of war, He put them on display, showing that he triumphed over them by the means of the cross. Listen, joyful saints, trusting believers, look back and see God's faithfulness. Come and see. Come and see the works of the Lord. Come and see what God is up to. Know right now that even though you don't understand what God is doing in your life, come and see that God is always at work to defeat the powers of darkness, to work for his glory. Come and see that the serpent who deceived and the adversary of hell has been crushed Come and see that Pharaoh's army is drowned. Come and see that Haman, who built these gallows for Mordecai, was hung on those same gallows. Come and see the weapons that are against the Lord. Come and see all of the plans and the schemes shredded and burned. Come and see this is what God is up to. This is what God does for us in Christ. And in faith, we are going to believe that God is up to something good right now in our church, in our city, in the world in 2021, God is doing great things. Come and behold the works of the Lord. As we read history or read our news feeds, uh, we think about kings and nations and queens and presidents and prime ministers. And all of those things, all of those people that rise up against the Lord will fail. For our God is greater than all who oppose him. This is our confidence and this is our peace. And I don't know about you, but I'm thinking about that day 
I'm thinking about that day when Christ will return in all of his glory as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and all his enemies finally, firmly will be under his feet forever, when evil and war and disease and death will be no more, and we will live in the presence of God. The Lord, fully exalted in all the earth, in all of the heavens, peace on earth and peace in our hearts, hallelujah, that is the day that's coming for us, that is our reason for confidence. The second invitation that we have not only is to come and see, but is to be still and know. I want to finish with this. Verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. The Lord of hosts, this God who is our refuge and strength is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I have a plaque in my house, I have a picture of it, that someone gave to us in a time that we were going through some difficulty. I don't know if you can read those words. Yes, you can, really well. Be still and know that I am God. And it reminds me to trust the Lord, to make the choice to trust even when I don't understand. Even when I don't understand, it reminds me of God's faithfulness and how he was faithful to us. As he has been forever, he will be. And so we are to be still and breathe and cease striving and know that he is God. And to experience the peace of Christ today. The God who is over the nations and over nature and over the storms of my life He is faithful. God says, stop worrying and trust me. He's a fortress. He's a stronghold. He's a tower of strength for us. Run into him. And here's God's promise to us. He's gonna take all of the threats and all of the chaos and all of the darkness and he will transform all of these things and the storms and the enemies of your life into an instrument of praise. Isn't that what he says? I will be exalted He's going to use all of the difficulties, all of the challenges, and all the trials, and he's going to turn them into reasons for us to praise and reasons for his name to get glory, even as he did with Pharaoh. Jesus stilled the storm for the disciples, and he can speak that peace to your troubled and unsettled soul today. Trust him and relax. Trust him. Cease striving. When do you come back to Psalm 46? You come back in times like this. You come and you read it and you sing it. You sing, a mighty fortress is our God. And when you face difficulties, when you're afraid, don't run inward, don't turn inward. Turn to the Lord. Don't run from God, run to him. He's your refuge, he's your reason for confidence. Because we know that God controls history and nature, we can face the chaos fearlessly. So behold him. Behold him, church. See the works of the Lord. Come and behold the empty tomb. This overcoming Savior who is our protector and our provider and our provision, he gives us peace. He's the reason for our confidence today. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God says to you today these words, be still and know that I am God. Let's pray. Lord, how we would have loved to have been in the boat with you and the disciples. I know we wouldn't have liked the first part of that story when we felt like our life was uh, just at risk when we were all gonna die. But how great it would have been, Lord, as you woke and spoke and we watched as the storms around us 
were stilled. And we marveled in awestruck wonder, how is it that the wind and the waves obey you? The Red Sea obeys you. Forces of nature obey you. And so, Lord, help us to be still and to know that you are God and to trust you and to find confident hope and help in our times of trouble. Lord, we put our trust in you today. We take you at your word and we worship you. Amen.
Just pause for a moment. Just close your eyes and just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We behold you. We behold you. Lord, the Alpha and the Omega, our God, our refuge, our strength, 
our very present help in trouble, the Most High. Lord, you are for us. Who can be against us? Lord Jesus, nothing can separate us from your love. Lord, I pray today for those whose lives and hearts are troubled with storms, that you would speak that word, be still. And may the peace of God, Lord Jesus, that peace that you give, that peace like a river, flood us and calm us. And renew our trust in you, Lord, today as we declare that we will trust the Lord, that we will cease striving, that we will be still and rest in your presence. And Lord, would you be exalted in our trust? Would you be exalted and pleased in our faith? And Lord, would you be exalted in all of the the churning waters and the storms and the threats in us and around us? Be exalted, Lord, in our difficulties. God, be exalted as you answer prayer. Be exalted as you sustain us. Be exalted as you raise up and as you tear down. Let your name be glorified in your church and in our lives. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're with us as we go into this world from this this haven, this place of worship, to continue to worship you, to continue to have our song be a mighty fortress is our God. We will trust and not be afraid. Lord, go with us as we leave now to worship you and to trust in you. Now, South Shore, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance to you and give you peace. All God's people said, amen. Amen. It has been good to be in the house of the Lord today. As you're leaving, if you would like some prayer for something going on in your life, our elders and their wives are going to be right up here. We'd love to pray with you. Come and see us. Let's pray together. And go in the strength and the joy of the Lord. God bless you. You're dismissed.
All right, go ahead and take a seat, everybody. Good morning. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, team, for leading us. And good morning, everybody. Thank you for coming today. Woo, it's a good day. It's a good day. It's a good day to be encouraged. It's a good day to be together as the family of God. Well, we are in spring, and that's good. New season. We have just behind us finished 10 weeks of Colossians sermons. Peter did a great job wrapping up last week for us. Thank you, Peter. And ahead of us is, as Blair had said, a new four-week In Pursuit Easter series. I'm very much looking forward to that. But today we have this little in-between time. We had a week. And today we're going to jump into the Psalms for one message. When I'm reading through the Bible, sometimes you're in Genesis or Leviticus or Exodus, which we've been. And, you know, I just miss the Psalms. And so today, if you've been missing the Psalms, if you feel like, I just need a little bit of poetry, I just need a little bit of worship, I just need some prayers, some real-life kind of psalmist experience, well, today's the day. Because it's going to remind us of God's care for his children in some times that are a little bit challenging. I was thinking that if you've ever flown a plane, most of you have, or many of you have, sometimes when you're at 35,000 feet at 600 kilometers an hour, going from, let's say, I don't know, Toronto to Vancouver, wherever you happen to be going, you can forget that you're actually up in the air that high. Things are so smooth and calm. You've you know, got a coffee in your hand. You've got a little tablet. You're reading some book. It just feels pretty chill. You go, I actually forget that I'm actually up here, you know, flying in the middle of the sky. But sometimes there's a bit of turbulence, right? You remember those moments? Things get a little shaky, get a little jostled, going back and forth a little bit, and you just double-check your seatbelt, make sure everything's okay, that, you know, if this thing gets worse, that you're going to be all right. And then there's times when the, the heat gets turned up a little bit more. The plane drops. Have you ever experienced the drop of the plane? And you're not sure if you've actually dropped 20 feet or 220 feet, and you're kind of wondering what's going on, and the thoughts start going through your mind really fast, right? Uh, is the plane strong enough to handle what's happening? Is the person at the, at the helm, at the controls, going to be able to steer us through this thing? Those are the thoughts that go through my mind. And what was this calm and easy and peaceful time of coffee in one hand and book in the other becomes a very different experience. I don't know if you've been there, I've been there. It was just a picture that reminded me of what's happening around us right now. We have known some ease and some calm, some relatively calm waters, but all of a sudden, they're not really that easy and calm. Things are shaking, and uh, there's a lot of uncertainty and fear. We experience distress and disappointment, some anxieties. And in this tough year, uh, we need to be reminded of God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness doesn't change. His mercies are new every morning. And the Bible for us is, is this sure and certain confident hope that we have. And we forget about it. We get our eyes off the Lord really, really easy. And as I'm reminded, there's no better place than to turn to the Psalms for fresh hope in the midst of navigating these crazy waters. So today we are in Psalm 46. This is a Psalm. If you've come needing some encouragement and hope today, you're in the right spot. Psalm 46 is a psalm of confidence, psalm of confidence. And if you look at your Bible, you may actually have some stuff already underlined or already highlighted in your Bible. I know for me, Psalm uh, 46, verse 10, be still and know that I am God is a place that I have returned to many times. When you think about confidence, think about trust. You can be confident in something because you trust it. You know that you can rely on it. I'm confident in my car because I know that it's reliable, uh, because it's reliable, I trust in it, and I have confidence. And this is a psalm of confidence, and this is an ancient psalm, a song of God's people, telling us that God is fully trustworthy, so we can rely on him. We can have full confidence in who God is, no matter what's going on around us and how we need that in these days. 
I love this book title that J.B. Phillips wrote. He wrote a book called Your God is Too Small. Sometimes our problems seem really big and our God seems really small, but the reality is in light of a God who is very big, our problems need to be uh, right-sized to being very small. Here's what J.B. Phillips said. He said the purpose of his book was to expose, just listen to this, the inadequate conceptions of God which still linger unconsciously in many minds, these thoughts about God, which prevent our catching a glimpse of the true God. So little thoughts about God basically skew us and blind us to who he really is. So he wrote this book, your God is too small, you need to have a big God. He is a big God. He's the big God whose presence fills the universe and he is anything but small. Well, good news for us today is that Psalm 46 is a big psalm with a big view of a big God. It speaks of the fact that we can have fearless trust no matter what chaos is going on in your world. You know, if you turn to the internet, you can go to any number of blogs or websites that tell you that you're enough, that you got it, you got this, you can make it through. There's all sorts of, you know, uh, emotional adrenaline in your arms like, don't worry, it's going to be great, you can handle this. Well, that's not what the psalm is saying. The psalm is not pumping you up to be able to tackle what's going on. It's saying God's got this. God's got this, and it gets our eyes back on the God who's got this so we can be safe. We're safe, we have victory in him because he is sovereign over nature and viruses and the nations and governments and our fears and over all the earth and anything else that we're dealing with today in our lives. God has got this. So Luther, at a point in his life in 1527, found Psalm 46. I'm sure he just didn't find it in 1527. But he wrote a song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. We just finished singing it. And it was the battle hymn of the Reformation. It was their battle cry that was was sung in those days. And this was for Luther, a hymn of assurance. And and he said to one of his friends, they would say to each other, come, let us sing Psalm 46. Peter ended last week with these words, when do we come back to Colossians? And he gave us a number of reasons. Well, when do we come back to Psalm 46? We come when we need our confidence restored, when we need our assurance renewed. We come because there's boldness here, boldness in who God is, victorious because of Jesus Christ. And the beautiful word that God has for you, and I hope you leave with it today, is very simple, four words, be still and know. Be still and know. That's what the sermon's called, be still and know, because that's really the, the main thrust of this text. Psalm 46 can be divided into three sections. And each of those sections have the word selah at the end of them. It's almost like the psalmist said, hey preacher, bracket, you're going to be, you know, it's going to be easy to preach on this because I'm, I'm marking it up for you. I'm telling you what the sections are. So it's like, oh, thank you, Lord. That's really easy. And that word selah, if you don't know, we're not exactly sure what it means, but commentators believe it means stop, pause, and reflect. Just like catch a breath, think about this, and pause in this moment. The psalm also has sections that are framed by verses 7 and 11. Look at your Bibles if you have them open. Verse 7 and 11 are exactly the same. And in our music, we have verses and choruses. The verses tell the the content of the song, and the chorus punches it and lifts it and drives home the main point. Well, that's exactly what is happening in verse 7 and verse 11. It's the chorus of the song. It's the part that they want us to remember. It's the part that we're to sing out a little bit louder, emotionally a little bit stronger. This is the song. This is how it was written. And this declaration here is uh, just 
really supporting the main theme of the message, which is verse 1. So if you're a structure person, you're taking notes. There's three points, and here they are. I'm going to put them on the screen for you. The message is called Be Still and Know. What are the things that God wants us to know today? Number one, that he is a refuge in chaos. Second, that he's the rescue in conflict. And third, he's our reason for confidence. Look at verse one. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. What a beautiful verse, what truth that we need. And this verse is the theme of the whole psalm. If you're looking for the key that unlocks it, this is it. It's what the psalmist is trying to say. He put it right out there at the beginning. And verses 7 and 11, the chorus of the song, really are saying exactly the same thing in a slightly different way. Now, our point of reference when things happen to us, you get lost, there's a crisis, something happens, you look inward. If you're like me, you look inward and you go, can I handle this? Do I have what it takes to make it through this situation? That's our instinctive nature. That's what we do naturally. But, you know, the psalmist is, is just reminding us that that's not the place to start. It's not, do I have what it takes? But it's reminding us that God has what it takes. The psalmist begins, and the psalmist don't just write some, uh, let's write, write a song about God today. These are people who have lived through this stuff. Think about King David. When he writes about being in battle, he's sitting in a cave, and Saul's army is just around the other side of the mountain, and he's going to be put to death unless God does something amazing in the next 24 hours. So these songwriters are, are people that have been there, and the psalmist in Psalm 46 has seen God's faithfulness, is experiencing God's faithfulness, and saying, God, as you have been, so you will be to me. I believe this. And he begins where we all need to begin. Don't look to yourself. When trouble comes, don't think, can I handle this? Am I enough? Do I have enough strength? Do I have enough wisdom? Can I get myself out of this mess? The answer, even if you think it's yes, it's always no. No matter what blog is telling you about you can pull yourself up, it's not going to happen. You need to turn to the Lord. And those of you who have tried, tried, tried again and again to do it yourself, know that it doesn't work. He starts the psalm with these words, God is, God is. That's the place to start. When trouble comes, when you try to run to your own resources, it's pride and it's foolishness. Don't turn to self. Remember God in faith, who is the God over all. I don't know about you, but maybe that's your tendency to run to self. Now, it's not that we just turn to God and forget about our circumstances as if they don't matter or we're pretending that they're not real. God is very much real. He knows what we're dealing with. But turning to God tells us that there is a greater reality than what's going on and that there is someone greater than the fearful circumstances. Turning to the greater one who is greater than your problems, greater than your issues, is the first thing we have to do. And could it be Think with me that the difficulties that we experience, and, and uh, if you're, you know, in your 20s or 30s or 40s, or maybe you're a teenager or even younger and you've experienced some tough times, could it be that these things are ordained by God to teach us to lift our eyes to the Lord? Could it be that we've been thinking way too much about ourselves, thinking we're all that and more, and that God is wanting us to learn of his unconditional love and limitless power? That's what the Psalms do for us again and again. Let me give you an example. Psalm 121, it's a Psalm that many of you will know. It says this, I lift my eyes up to the hills, right? Getting our eyes on the Lord. Where does my help come from? 
My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. It's teaching us no matter what comes, no matter what's threatening us, no matter what's lurking in these mountains and in the darkness of my life, I'm going to look to the Lord. I'm going to get my eyes back on Jesus again because God is a refuge and strength for us, a very present help in trouble. Three things the psalmist wants us to see right off the top in verse one. God is our refuge. First, he's our strength. He's our very present help in trouble. We're going to look at all of those things. He's our refuge. What does that mean, a refuge? Well, he's our hiding place. He's a place of safety and shelter and protection in the storms. Think with me, imagine you're out uh, for a walk or you're shopping. My wife loves the Weather Network. If you ever want to know what the weather is in Vancouver where one of our kids lives, she can tell you what the temperature is going to be. She can tell you when it's going to rain, how much snow they had. She's a good mom. All of her kids know exactly what the weather's going to be because Alex is checking it out. She will never be caught without an umbrella because she, she checks it out. But imagine you didn't listen to Alex one day and you went shopping and you didn't have an umbrella. You're out on Dunlop Street, you know, and it starts to rain and it's just teeming and you're drenched. What's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to head into some store if there's rain coming. You're just, you just want a shelter. Or sometimes we don't get this too often in Barrie, but we do get it sometimes. Uh, imagine there's a tornado warning. What do you do? You head for the basement. Right? When, when there's a calamity, when there's a storm, you head for shelter, you head for a place of safety. And when the storms of life assault you, God says this, he says, run to me, run to me. He's the refuge when the storms hit. He's faithful, he's our protector in our times of trouble. And there is one safe place, there's one safe place from troubles, there's one safe place from the judgment of hell, there's one safe place when we face the onslaught of the evil one. And that's why we celebrate the gospel. That safe place is the person of Jesus Christ. We are in him, we run to him, he shelters us, he watches over our soul. We can fully trust him. And the challenge for us is we can know these truths, we can have correct theology, we can know the Bible, have memorized Psalm 46, verse 1, verse 10, maybe memorize the whole thing. The reality is we might know that truth, but we don't always necessarily live it out. We might not always put it into practice where we run to him instinctively. And this psalm brings us back. In the heat of the battle, where do we run? Do we run to the fridge? Do we run to our phones to find some distraction? Or do we run to the Lord? We're safe when we're sheltered in the Lord. The second thing the Bible says is that God is our strength. He's our strength. And as physical limited, finite human beings. Sometimes at the end of the day, my head hits a pillow and I crash and I just go, I'm done. There's nothing left. Like it's, it's gone. And sometimes we wonder, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and am I going to have the strength to actually face a new day because I'm empty today. Maybe you feel like that from time to time too. Well, the psalmist says, don't boast in your ability, don't boast in your strength, but boast in the Lord who is your strength because he's the one who's sufficient for every trial. What does Philippians 13 say? Have you ever memorized that one? I can do, say it with me, all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the exchange. My, my strength is limited, but his is unlimited. We run to him to be our strength. And when the Lord rescued his people from the waters that threatened them as they left Exodus, or left, left Egypt in the Exodus and the Passover, they actually wrote a song about it. 
They commemorated the moment in Exodus chapter 15, and this is what the song said. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Their song of victory was that God was more than enough. He was the strength they needed when they didn't have any strength. And we are strong, South Shore, when we're strong in the Lord. Third, he's a very present help in trouble. Imagine being on Dunlop Street again, and you're running into that building. You're running for shelter so as not to get soaked. You grab the door handle only to find that the door is locked and you can't get in. So what good is a shelter if it's locked? What good is it if you can't get in? Well, that's not who our God is. 24-7, he is our place of safety where God's door is never locked. He's always available, always near, and ever-present help in trouble. All we have to do is turn to him. Sometimes that's the hardest thing for us. Another way the Hebrew word, a very present help in trouble, nuances this word. It doesn't come out in English, but it says the Lord is a well-proved well-tested help. The Lord understands what we're facing, and he stands by us. Charles Spurgeon, commenting on this passage, says this. I love the way he puts it. He said, God is more nearly present than even the trouble itself. You got troubles? They're close? They're in your face? God's closer. You got something that feels big? God's bigger. You got some stuff kind of chasing you down? God is greater. And right now, we could stop, we could just, you know, close the book, stop my sermon, and just say, let's have testimony time. Let's have testimony time. And the theme of our testimony time is, hey, let me tell you what the Lord's done for me. I want to rejoice with you. I want you to rejoice with me. I want us to rejoice together. Let's just tell God's stories. Let's tell stories of God at work where God was faithful, where he didn't fail us, where he didn't lock us out, where he didn't leave us, where he held us strong when we weren't sure if we were going to make it. It's true that God's help comes just at the right time, isn't it? He's never early. He's never late. Bracket, sometimes we'd like him to be a little earlier. <laughs> but his help comes just at the right time. Maybe it's an open door. Maybe it's a job that came right at the moment. Maybe it's a check that you didn't expect that helped you pay the bills. Maybe it was a scripture verse that someone sent to you that was just the right word for you at the right time. God sends his, his help. He is a very present help in time of trouble. And right now, today, this morning, maybe you need to run into that place of safety and shelter and strength in the Lord. To the throne of grace, where the Lord says, come and find grace and find help. So sure, this God is our refuge and strength. He's with us. And as you're reading these verses in Psalm 2, you'll know that there are great declarations of faith, but there's also... He's very realist, realistic about the troubles that are going on. Look at verse 2. It says, therefore, we will not fear, though, and just listen to what's going on in this person's world. This may have been literal, but it's probably f- figurative as well. Maybe both. He says, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. Pause, stop, reflect. So what we see here is, is the psalmist is going through some really, really difficult times. Chaos everywhere. Waters are threatening. The mountains are shaking. There's earthquakes. 
In our day, we've seen the destructive power of tsunamis. We've seen earthquakes that caused floods and tidal waves. I remember that in Japan a number of years ago. Some of you have lived through earthquakes. I remember being in my basement office a few years ago. There was an earthquake somewhere in Quebec near Montreal, and I felt it in Barrie. Just a, a little, little one, but some of you have felt some big ones. And many of us have experienced earthquakes that have rocked our soul. We've been there. But because of who God is, he's the creator and he's Lord over the mountains and he's Lord over the seas and he's Lord over the earthquakes and he's Lord over the things that shake our lives. Here is our confident declaration that the psalmist gives us. What is it? It's in verse two. It says this, therefore, we will not fear. That's the confident declaration because of who God is. It doesn't matter what's going on. We won't be afraid. Even though the world is at war, even though forces of darkness come against the church, even though believers are marginalized, even though you fill in the blanks, what's your even though? Even though this is going on, even though I'm experiencing that, even though I don't know what to do about this, even though, even though, even though, whatever tries the faith of believers, whatever may come our way in the days ahead, in the days ahead, remember this, God is on our side. And nothing can separate you from his love. And so therefore, we won't be afraid. Our God is sovereign. And I'm so glad today that the Bible says that all of these things that we go through are light and momentary afflictions that are working for a good purpose in our lives for God's glory. God's got a purpose for all of these things. He's in charge of them. And all across the ages, God has proved himself. You know, if, um, if our grandparents were here, our great-grandparents, they could tell us stories. God was faithful. They would tell us stories of the faithfulness. God is always faithful, and so we don't need to be afraid. So let's turn from fear when we trust in ourselves to fear not because we trust in the Lord. Let's be done with looking to self. Let's be all about turning to Jesus and finding the fear not. As I was thinking about this message in the waters that are churning and, and everything and just threatening these people, even the waters of the Exodus, I was reminded of Mark chapter 4. And the story is Jesus in a boat. A few years ago, I was on Lake Simcoe, and Lake Simcoe looks pretty nice on a calm day. Well, I actually happened to be in a sailboat with a bunch of young interns that I was working with, and we got caught in the middle of a lightning and thunder and turned the boat almost upside down storm. It was literally like, I think we're going down. You know, it wasn't in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. It was pretty scary. We made it. Thank you, Jesus. But there was a storm like that that happened in Mark chapter 4. Here's how it goes. Jesus was sleeping in the boat. The disciples were with him. He was so tired that he didn't wake up for the, for the greater part of it. And they woke, woke him up and they you know, said, don't you care that we're perishing? And here's what happened. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? What a beautiful picture. Jesus is in the boat with you, brothers and sisters. Did you know that creation obeys his voice? The winds and the waves he controls, he holds them in his hands and he holds you safe in his hands in the storms. And the oceans roar in our lives sometimes, but we can say it is well with my soul. What fears are you facing today? What storms are you dealing with that trouble you? What storms are breaking across the bow of your boat?
know that Jesus is with you and you are secure in his presence. There's a place of safety, so put your trust in the Lord. You don't need to be afraid. Selah, pause, rest, reflect. Be still and know that he is the refuge for you in chaos. While the psalmist turns from confidence in the face of natural disasters and things that shake our world to confidence in the midst of the nations and the wars that surround us. This is the second point. The Lord is our rescue in conflict. Look at verse four. The Bible says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. I grew up in Ottawa, and if you've ever been there, if you haven't, it's a good place to go. I'm not paid by the government to uh, uh, do tourism dollars or anything like that. Ottawa was a great place, but in the middle of Ottawa, there's this thing called the Rideau Canal. In the wintertime, you get to skate it, 7.8 kilometers, and in the summertime, there's a, a beautiful waterway that goes through the city, ends up at the Parliament buildings, and there's running paths, people cycle and run along, along it. And I have to say, it was one of the, the most beautiful landmarks of Ottawa. It was a great place. I spent lots of time going to university. And in this text here, we see this, that there is a river that runs through the center of the city. It's not the city of Ottawa, it's the city of God. What's the city of God? It's also known as Mount Zion. If you see the word Mount Zion, it's, it's a physical city in the Bible referring to Jerusalem. And there was a, a river that this passage says that runs through the center of the city. It's a good river. It's a river that brings gladness. Well, the only problem is if you've, if you've ever been to Israel, ever been to Jerusalem, you know that there is no river running through the center of the city. It's high, and there's no river that's, that's there. This is a figurative one, not a, a real one. But nonetheless, it is a real river because it's the river of God's peace and God's presence with his people and his provision. And there's a contrast here in, in this verse. It's a still river that's, that's bringing security. You know, if you're in war and you're behind these walled cities, you need a water source to keep going. And God says this river is going to supply you in the war. And when we're parched and when we're, we're thirsty, you need a river just to refresh your soul. God is saying that in contrast to these chaotic waters that in verse 2 and 3 are, are just about to wipe whole communities out, chaotic, that river is different than that. I'm going to take these waters and I'm going to make them calm. And I'm going to provide this river of, of peace and life for you. This river of refreshment and security. This is not only a picture for us of God's presence, but it's the picture of the new Jerusalem, our forever home. The very last chapter of the Bible, the very first two verses in Revelation, talk about this river, this river that runs through the center of the new Jerusalem. And on the side of this river are the tree of life, trees of life, and the leaves of this tree bring healing to the nations. There's something very, very special about the river of God that refreshes and restores our soul. This is the peace of God. God says that even when you're threatened, even when the enemy is at your gate, you can be at peace because God, his presence is with us. And the first point, what we wanted to see was that we are in the refuge. We are in that shelter. We're in that safe place. In this verse, he's saying that river is in you. God's presence is in you. We are in the refuge, but that river is in us. We are in Christ and Christ is in us. So we don't have to be afraid. Verse Four and five says, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. There's this just great sense that we're not gonna be shaken. We're not gonna be shaken for we are in Christ. And he holds us fast. 
we will not be overcome. Look at verse five. God will help her when the morning dawns. It says the nations rage. Now we're talking about warfare. Now we're talking about battles. Now we're talking about real enemies, real armies, real bows and arrows and all the stuff that happens in, in war and flaming things and the kingdom's totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. In the battle, in the heat of the conflict, when the nations threaten, God says this. He says, I'm going to help you. God will help when the morning dawns. In verse 1, we saw this, that God is our help. But in verse 5, we see this, that God helps us. So who God is is what God does. He is our help who gives us help, if that makes sense. And he's saying, I'm God in action. I'm, I'm God for you. I'm God with you in the battle. And in verse 2, where the mountains were moving and shaking, look at verse 5. It says that we will not be shaken. We will not be shaken. The Lord holds us strong and he holds us fast. He's with us. No matter what waters are roaring, God delivers us. I'm thinking about the morning. You know, at, um, at nighttime, often is when just before the dawn, the enemy attacked. And it was at that time that the Lord delivered. And I was reminded of times in the Bible when it was night and there was a battle going on and there was a morning and there was a victory. Think about all night when the people of Israel, more than a million people walked through the dry ground and the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army was, was chasing them, was attacking them, or at least trying to catch up to them. And God protected with a pillar of fire and a cloud his presence. And this is what was going on all night. The battle was raging. They were trying to get away. But in the morning, something happened. When morning dawned, what happened was this, the Lord threw Pharaoh's army into a panic. The chariots were there. Their wheels got clogged up. They got stuck. They couldn't move. And then Moses lifted up his, his uh, staff, and the waters came in and destroyed Pharaoh's army. And they were all drowned. The Lord rescued them in the morning. Or maybe you remember what happened in 2 Kings 18 and 19. And sometimes when you're reading a psalm, you're actually wondering, does this say anything about why the psalm was written? Like, was it David when he was in a cave? Or was it this thing that happened? Well, we don't exactly know why Psalm 46 was written, but commentators feel that it might be this thing that I'm about to tell you about in 2 Kings 18. So the Assyrian army under King Sennacherib was at the gates of Jerusalem. This was a big army with thousands and thousands and thousands of soldiers. Sort of this epic battle like, you know, you might imagine in Lord of the Rings. It's not looking too good for the people of Jerusalem. Here was Sennacherib with his siege machines, with all their psychological warfare, terrorizing the people of Jerusalem. So what does King Hezekiah do? He's, he's the good and godly king of Jerusalem. He prays. He calls upon the Lord. It's like, oh Lord, and here's his prayer. In 2 Kings 19, 19, he says, So now, O Lord our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. In other words, God, we're doomed, we're busted, we're going to be destroyed unless, God, you show your power in a very, very big way. And the Lord, praise God, heard his prayer and came to the defense of his people, and he announced the defeat of the Assyrian army. It was actually through the prophet Isaiah that God announced these words to King Hezekiah, these words of comfort. The Lord said in chapter 1934, he said, I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Do you love that? God says, I'm gonna be the commander, I'm gonna be the commander of the army, I'm gonna take this enemy out 
for my own sake, for my own glory. And did you know what? Let's stop there for a second. When God defends you, he loves you, but he fights for his own glory. He attacks the enemy because of his own glory and his own honor and for the sake of those he loves. His name is at stake. And here's what the Lord did. Here's what he promised. Here's what he did. We read it in verse 35. And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down, guess how many? Struck down the army, the Assyrian army. It wasn't like 20 of them or 200 or 2,000. It wasn't 20,000. There wasn't 90,000. The Bible says there was 185,000 warriors in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people of Israel came out and arose early in the morning, early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. The angel of the Lord took them all out. It's pretty cool. God fights for you. He takes care of your enemies. When morning dawns, God helps his people. The battle rages through the night. God rescues us in the morning. And that reminds me of one very, very famous Bible story with one very, very famous story of victory against the enemy. Thinking what I'm thinking? Luke chapter 24, but on the first day of the week. When? At early dawn. It was the morning. The women went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. The women set out when it was dark. In the darkness, the battle in their hearts was still raging. But by the time they arrived, guess what? It was morning. The sun had risen. It was morning. The God of deliverance was showing his power. And they didn't find a lifeless body. They found the stone rolled away from the entrance of the tomb, and the body was gone. The exodus... And the Assyrian army that I just talked to you about pointed to a different kind of morning. Those two mornings pointed to this morning, to that morning, which was the morning of mornings. And we're waiting for that final morning when the Lord's going to end the night of our battle and our conflict. And it'll be the morning of God's dawning, of His coming, of His kingdom forever, and His great mercy. And so because of that morning, we know that God is with us each morning. Lamentations chapter 3, great is his faithfulness. Morning by morning, his mercies are new every morning. So you know what, tomorrow morning, if if Monday's going to be a Monday for you, if it's going to be a tough Monday, if it's going to be a Monday I don't really want to deal with, guess what, you don't have to worry about it. Because God's Monday morning mercies, his resurrection mercies, his power, his deliverance, his ability, his strength, his being a refuge for you, refuge. It's going to be your Monday. It's going to be what welcomes you. It's going to be what welcomes me, no matter what what goes on. You have the assurance. Verse 6, look at what's going on. The nations are raging. The kingdoms are tottering. They're falling. And God utters his voice, and the earth melts. And God is saying here to us that the nations, no matter how strong, no matter what war machines, no matter what complexities of governments, no matter what comes against us, we are held firm in God's grasp, in his grip. Amen? Doesn't matter what's going on. Even here, God is in control of the chaos, even in the midst of a completely unstable world. When Pharaoh, Satan, Sennacherib, Judas, Pilate, the Jewish leaders, when all of these that we've been talking about threw their very worst at God, what did they accomplish? Nothing. 
they were thoroughly and utterly destroyed. In the waters, in the battle, at the cross, and in the empty tomb. Brothers and sisters, morning brought the victory. God triumphed over them through his power. So what does God do to his enemies? He speaks, and the earth melts. All those who oppose him will be no more. With just a word, Jesus calmed the raging sea. He stilled the seas, and they obeyed his authority. He utters his voice, and the earth melts. God is in heaven, and God laughs at his enemies. Psalm 2 says, he who sits in the heavens laughs. Is God worried about people in North Korea with nuclear bombs? Absolutely not. Is God worried about rogue nations? Absolutely not. The Lord holds them in derision. He will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. God is saying to all the nations of the earth, Jesus Christ is Lord. He is supreme. He is sovereign over all the powers, over all the darkness, over every threat. God laughs in the face of his enemy. He says, Jesus Christ is king. And so we come again to the song, this refrain, this chorus, and we say, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. This is who God is, this divine warrior. And so we pause and stop and reflect, saying, be still and know this. God is your rescue in conflict. In the third and final section, the psalmist says, because of all that we've been talking about, I'm gonna call you to respond. Our response is this, as we look at the third point. He's our reason for confidence. The Lord is our reason for confidence. Verse six, sorry, verse nine. It says, come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. God is over all the enemies. And then in this section, there's two sets of imperatives. In other words, what we need to listen to and pay attention to and do. The first one is this. It says, come and behold. It's plural. All of us, all of you, believers, come and behold. South Shore, come and behold today. Come and see. What's he saying? Come and see who God is. Get a fresh glimpse today of who your God is. Come and see not only who God is, but come and see with eyes of faith what God is doing. Come and see what he's doing. And come and see the final defeat of all the evil in the universe that opposes God. Did you know that's where our hope is found? I was on a, a podcast call this week, and this guy said, he said, we're in the next two months writing songs about the hope of his appearing. And what that means is that there's going to be a day. There's going to be a day when this, this world is done, when evil is done, and they're writing songs about the verse four of all the hymns we used to sing, right? When the trumpet will sound and we're brought to heaven, and when, oh, for that day, you know, when we've been there 10,000 years, hymn writers used to talk about heaven all the time. And we're writing songs now about, oh, that day when the final defeat of evil and everything in the universe that opposes God, that, Christian, is your future. That's where we're heading. That's our hope. Come and see what God's going to do. We look back and we see it. And, and I admit it's really hard today at uh, 12.16 in the afternoon on the 21st. It's hard to see what God's doing today. It's hard to see what, why the situation is going on in my life. It's hard to see why this thing that I've been praying about for so long does not seem to be moving. I don't get it. <laughs> it doesn't make sense, but with the lens of God's word, here's what happens. We can look back on those things that happened, and we can see what God was doing. 
Joseph, when Joseph was in the pit, when Joseph was in the palace, when Joseph was in the prison, did Joseph have any clue what was going on? Absolutely not. He did not know what was going on. He didn't see it in the moment. But God knew, and we could see it. We could see that God was at work. We can see that what God was doing was for good when the evil one was working for evil purposes. We can see. How about the disciples in the traumatic aftermath of the cross Friday afternoon and Saturday? You think they, think they knew what was going on, having witnessed the, the bloody crucifixion of their Lord and Savior? Nothing made sense. They couldn't see. They couldn't see what God was up to. But we do. Because we have this lens. The Bible is the lens. And I admit that we can't see right today what's going on in our lives and how this makes sense and how it fits and where it's going to go. We don't see. That's where faith comes in. And as Alex reminds me a lot, faith pleases God. And when we walk in faith, faith pleases God. And when we don't understand, but we say, God, I don't understand, but I will trust you, that pleases God. Faith pleases God. And joyful saints, trusting believers, let's look and see God's faithfulness. Let's look and see the enemies of God rendered powerless, defeated, slain by the cross of Christ. Let's look back and see the the serpent who deceived, crushed underneath the feet of Jesus. Let's see Pharaoh's army drowned in the sea. Let's see Haman who was hung on the gallows that he built for Mordecai's destruction. Gone. All of the weapons of this world, all of the schemes and the plans of the evil one shredded, burned, amounting to nothing. This is what God has done for us in Christ. This is who you're in. This is who is your commander-in-chief. This is who is your divine warrior, the God who is for you. Everything against the Lord will fall. All governments will fall. Everyone who is opposed to God will fall. But our confidence is that he is for us. And this is our future. One day these enemies will be at our feet. That's the first exhortation, to come and behold, to remember. The second one is the one we love. Be still and know that I am God. Look at verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The chorus rings out again. The Lord of hosts, this God of the angel armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I have a plaque that somebody gave to me a number of years ago. And it reminds me of God's faithfulness. It was sitting on our entertainment unit in our family room for a long time. And what this, what this reminds me of is a choice. <laughs> and the reason I love that picture because it's, it's winter. And in winter, things are cold. Now, we're out of that season now. But when it's minus 25 and when the winds are howling and when all the leaves are stripped off the trees, that's kind of what you feel like sometimes in your soul. You feel like this is barren and this is cold and I'm very uncomfortable and I feel stripped of everything that's good. It reminds me to choose to trust God. It reminds me, even in the midst of the difficulties of, of cold and I don't understand, that I can be still and know that he is God. And so, I don't have to understand. I don't have to understand. I can stop and I can breathe and be still and experience the peace of God. It's a fight, but fight the fight. Fight to get there. Press back those emotions. Fight back those voices. Fight back the taunts of the enemy. Fight back against this cloud of darkness that overwhelms us at times. And God says, cease striving. I love you. Cease striving. I am for you. Cease striving. I am in you and I'm with you. I'm your fortress. I'm your stronghold. 
And the promise is, is such a beautiful thing. Did you hear those words a minute ago, I will be exalted? What does that mean? What that means is that God is going to take all of the difficulties and the calamities and the hardships and all the things that if we could write our own story, we would rip that page out of our book. There's lots of pages we don't want in our book, right? But God says, I'm going to take all those pages that you don't like, that you don't want, and I'm going to be exalted in the midst of them. I'm going to use those for my praise. I'm going to use those to bring glory to my name. I'm going to use the dark of the darkness. I'm going to use the the difficult of the difficult. And I'm going to write my grace on that page in the pen written with the blood of Christ, the redeeming work of God. I'm going to take all of those things that are in you that you don't like, and I'm going to glorify my name, and it is going to be for your good. And so you know what we say? We say, blessed be your name, Lord. You give and you take away. Blessed be your name. When the darkness closes in, Lord, blessed be your name. We can exalt him even now. I don't know how it's going to work. It's like that tapestry, right? It looks nice on one side. You turn it over. It's an ugly mess of threads. All we see is the threads. But God's going to turn it over someday. He's going to hold it up. He's going to say, look, look what I was doing. Blessed be your name, Lord. I don't see it now, but God, I'm going to choose to praise you in the storm. And so we can relax and trust God. When do you come back to Psalm 46? You come back when you know that you need a mighty fortress. This is your God. You come back when you face opposition or fear and don't run to yourself. It's going to happen this week. You're going to be tempted. You're going to go, who do I run to? Do I run to the fridge, to my phone, to myself, to my resources? Run to the Lord. He's your reason for confidence. Because if you do, you can face the adversity. You can endure weakness and you can take risks and step out in faith. His love, his grace, his help will be for you. And because God controls all of the elements, all of nature, because he controls the nations, because he controls the world of you, your inner earthquakes and your inner shakings, you can trust him. Because he is the overcoming savior. He's the one who died on the cross and rose again. And praise God, in two weeks we get to come back and make a real loud, joyful noise about that, our hope. Jesus Christ is your reason for confidence. South Shore, I'm going to say that chorus one more time. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah, pause, stop, reflect. God says to you today these words. Be still and know that I am God.